right, so good to be here. Uh, glad all our campuses are with us uh, watching this as well, here with us in this message. We're in the series called Wonder, and wonder has a double meaning, okay? On the one hand, it's just like it sounds, like I wonder. I wonder why, you know, they take the Lord's Supper in church. I wonder why Christians worship all the time, every Sunday. I wonder why this, I wonder why that. And then the second meaning is the wonder that you experience and the, the awe you experience and the, the stuff that stuff does in your heart when you engage those things, when you engage prayer, when you engage worship and all those things. So today, uh, the question is, I wonder why Christians share their faith. Now, this is a pretty big question in our culture, right? Everybody understands this. People in our culture have this question. Why do Christians share their faith? Man, Shouldn't you just kind of keep your beliefs to yourself? I mean, there's a huge range in this pushback, all the way from, you know, maybe aggressive to, you know, pretty innocent. Like, people just don't understand why Christians share their faith. But it's not just in our culture. It's also in the church and, and with Christians, with, with believing Christians. This is actually a big question, a big issue. In fact, there was a study done by a research group, Barna Research, and they, they did this comprehensive study, and one of the questions they engaged was this question about sharing your faith and leading people to Christ. And, um, and they took the, the most populous demographic, the 20 to 38-year-olds, and look at this astounding statistic right here. They found that 97% of those Christians, okay, not people in the, the culture, this is believing, practicing Christians, 97% of the believers in that age demographic, 20 to, to 38, say that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus, of course, because of, you know, what Jesus brings and, and the things, you know, Christ brings in your life. But here's what's crazy interesting, <laughs> to, to put it, you know, nicely, 47% of those same believers agree, at least somewhat, that it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone. So 97% on the one hand say, man, it's the best thing that ever happened to someone. 47% on the other hand, those very same practicing Christians say, man, it's at least partially morally wrong to share your faith with someone of a different belief system. So this is a real question, not just in the culture, but in the church. So we're, we're going to get into it. We're going to address this question. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I'm going to tell you right now, right at the beginning, the answer to the question, okay? Now, there's, there's dozens of things we could say, um, and we could put them all in order because there's a lot of answers to this question. But I'm going to give you what I think is the, the, the most important answer to this question, why do Christians share their faith? I'm just going to say it right off the bat, and here's why. Here, here's the answer, and then I'm going to kind of explain it, so stick with me a little bit. The reason why Christians share their faith is because life is really, really short, and eternity is really, really long. Okay, that's, that's the answer, right? Life is really, really short, and eternity is really, really long. And if you think about how true and strange that is, it starts to really get into your mind and your heart in an interesting way. Because think about how strange it is that the decisions we make in this short, short life affect our forever. The decisions we make in this short, short life affect our forever. And it shouldn't be like that. Logically, that's not how you and I would do it, right? Because... If the average life expectancy is about 80 years, it's actually 78.87 years currently in our country, then if you, we'll give you an extra 1.3 years. If you live 80 years, which, you know, half of us are not going to get there, but if you do, shouldn't, shouldn't you logically then, um, based on the good you do or the bad you do in this life, shouldn't that then affect the next 80 years? Because that's kind of justice, right? 
you 80 the years of this stuff, and then that should determine the condition of your next 80 years, like whatever that's like, you know, in the afterlife. But that's not how it is. What you decide and what you do in this short, short time period of this life affects your forever. And it's this reality, this, this, this crazy reality that has really affected me more than any other life principle, any other wisdom principle there is. The decisions I make in the short, short time period don't just affect the next few years, they affect forever. And you really have to kind of wrap your, your, your mind around it. You really got to kind of dwell on it, and it's hard to do. And it's impossible to fully comprehend eternity, but you got to try. And the scripture actually tells us to try and, and carry that around with us. So, so we're going we're gonna to do something. I'm going to show you something, and we're just going to try to ponder eternity. So I got some sand up here. So I'm going to take a granule of sand, all right? Get all the extra ones off. Okay, can everybody see the, 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 the one granule I have? Okay, so good. So that granule represents your life. Now, you're not all going to make it to 80, but um, we're going we're gonna to just give you that gift, okay? Maybe you will. Um, the average life expectancy, again, right now, 78.87 years. We're going to round it up to 80. So that's a granule of sand. So now what I'm going to do is I have, a, I have a measuring cup, one, one actual cup, and I'm going to get this perfect here. All right, that's one cup of sand. Now you might be wondering, well, you don't know how many granules of sand in or in that cup, actually, actually, I do because I researched it and a bunch of nerds figured it out, okay? <laughs> a bunch of nerds figured it out and I love nerds. I did ancestry DNA, I got nerd in me and all that kind of stuff, so I love nerds. They spent 12, a group of 12 people spent 1,000 hours and figured out, they took the average granule of sand, because you know, different types of granules of sand, they took the average, figured out that there's this many granules of sand in a cup. 3,281,579. So if you take 3,281,579, remember one grain of sand represents your lifetime, that's 80 years. So the equation you end up with is this. You end up with 80 years for a lifetime times 3,281,579. That gives you 262,526,320 years represented in a cup of sand. Well, let's just call it 263 million, okay? 263 million years are represented right here, guys. Is that eternity? Is that how long the, that, the, the, the consequences of your decisions in this short life are going to last? No, because you've got to add in all of the sand in, in the whole planet. You've got to add in all the sand in all the oceans, all the sand in all the beaches, how many billions and billions of cups, times billions and billions of cups of sand. Is, no nerd has ever figured that out, all right? Multiply that by whatever that number was, 3 million something, multiply that by 80 years. That's a crazy amount of time, hard to comprehend. You can't comprehend it. Is that how long eternity is? No, because even after you live that long, that many years, there's no less time in eternity. And yet, the decisions you make in this short, short time, this life, as crazy as it sounds, it's, it's true. The scripture tells us it's true, that the decisions you make in this short, short life affect your forever. They affect your forever. Life is short, eternity is long. Life is really, really short, eternity is long. In fact, do this. Everybody get the smallest little space between your fingers. Go ahead. Everyone at the campuses, do this. Like, put your, now say this. Life is short. Now, don't hurt anybody and go like this and say eternity is long. Okay. Life is short, eternity is long. Now, I want to give you some biblical clarity on 
two things about, about this and how your decisions affect your eternity. And this is kind of really fast, important theology. But um, whether or not you put your faith in Christ is the first category. And that one decision affects more things than any other else. And when you, when you put your faith in Christ, you are saved forever. But then there's a different category. There's another category as well. And that's, that's whether or not you use, you give your life to, to be used by God for his purposes and what you do with your resources and, and whether or not you're trustworthy. God entrusts you in eternity based on your trustworthiness in this life. He, he rewards you in eternity. But those two things are separate. That first one is totally separate from the second one. So that's how our decisions in the short, short life are affected eternally. Now, this is why the, the, the reality, <laughs> this, this principle of just wrapping our minds around short versus long is actually the most important wisdom principle in the world. Knowing and living by the principle of choosing the long over the short for eternity, but also, also right now for this life. It's the most important principle you could teach any of your kids, you could teach anyone you love to be wise, is choosing the short over or choosing long over the short. That's why wisdom is any time you choose a longer benefit over a short one, and foolishness is any time you choose a short benefit over a long one. So I'll give you an example. Like you've all, this has happened to you a you know, thousand times. You could all give a thousand different illustrations. But let's just say you come into some money, right? And, um, you know, just like, like $100,000 or something like that. And, and you can, you don't have a house, and so you're like, I can get a house. And that would be, maybe a good decision because then you know you could live there and for a long time and maybe build equity and there's so many reasons why that could be a good decision right but then another thought comes in your head and here's the other thought you go or my birthday's coming up and I could have a big party with that money right I could rent a unicorn I could do everything I could and then, and now you have a dilemma. Which one would be foolish and which one would be wise, right? It's the long benefit over the short. So this principle of, un, of, of feeling the long versus the short, the short versus the long, and especially in relationship to eternity, is the greatest, most important wisdom principle for anyone to understand. And that is why it's all over the scriptures. It's all over the place in the scriptures. In fact, I mean, it's hard to even get to a text or a part of the Bible that doesn't talk about this. It's also why this principle, like I said earlier, has affected my life more than any other principle. Just, just dwelling on the reality of how long eternity is, how short life is. It's the thing that has, has caused me to, to say no to different sins in my life or to repent of different sins in my life because, man, life is short, eternity is long, and, and, and so many other things. But again, you look anywhere in the Bible, look at what Jesus says. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Well, when you think about how short life is and how long eternity is, the answer is clear. It's no good. It's no good. That's the answer. To just live for this life and do nothing for eternity, it's no good. Or anywhere in the writings of Paul, 2 Corinthians 4.17, for example, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweigh them all. So everywhere you go in the Bible, this short versus long, short versus long is all over the place. Dwell on eternity, dwell on eternity, how short life is, how long eternity is. But we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and you can try to find it. Um, it's a tiny book, so if you can't, don't feel bad, all right? You might have to go to the list in the Bible to find out where it is. You don't need to, though. I'm going to put the text on the screen, okay? And I, I chose this text because there's a couple things in this scripture that really affect me personally, and, and something really interesting at the end of this scripture that is just kind of, it feels like it's out of the blue. 
But then once you walk through this text, you realize, wow, he's leading up to this the whole time. So here's how it goes. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, the, the apostle, writes these words. And he's writing to two different people. He's writing to, to people who already believe in Jesus. And he's like, just you know, keep in mind, some of these sufferings, they're, they're, they're short and eternity's coming. And, and he's also writing to people who don't yet know Jesus because he wants them to have an eternal future. And so it starts like this. He goes in verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. So he sets it up by saying, look, God's impartial. And that was a really big deal back then, by the way, because people thought God was not impartial. They thought he was partial. Like, you know, whether, whether or not you were born in this family or this country determined, you know, if you went to heaven. And God's like, no, no, no. What decisions you make in this short period of time determine whether or not you go to heaven, whether or not you put your faith in Christ. And the decisions you make, you know, with, with what you do with your life, they affect your eternity. God's impartial. It doesn't matter where you're from. So he says, since God's impartial, here's what he says. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Well, this is really interesting. When you look at that word fear, because you've heard before, right, that the most common command in all the Bible is do not what? Fear. And yet this is going, hey, be afraid, right? Okay, so what's going on here? This isn't anxiety. This is the healthy fear that leads us to goodness. It's the, it's the healthy respect that we have when we really comprehend the things of God, God himself, and things like eternity. And everybody understands healthy fear. Raise your hand if you've been in Niagara Falls. Raise your hand. Anyone at the campus is too. Okay. Uh, some, some, a big chunk of people. But you've been somewhere where you've seen something that produces this woe inside of you, right? And that's a little bit wow and a little bit scary. That is a healthy fear. Because what if you were at Niagara Falls, right? And you were one of these people here and you didn't have healthy fear. And you thought that water looked refreshing, <laughs> right? You're, it's over. It's over. Healthy fear keeps you alive. Healthy fear leads to blessing. Healthy fear keeps you from harm. It's so interesting. This isn't anxiety. This is a healthy wonder and awe that God calls us to have about him, he's, that he's with us, that he judges our life, that, that the, this, and a healthy fear of eternity. So conduct yourselves in this healthy fear. In fact, in the wisdom literature in scripture, the most repeated phrase of wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, conduct yourselves in healthy th fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, if you're reading your Bible, um, your Bible might, you know, say during the time of your life, okay? But it's interesting, and I chose this translation because I love the way it says, during the time of your stay on earth. What does that sound like to you? Does it remind you of anything? It sounds like a hotel. Because when you go to a hotel, they go, are you enjoying your stay? And the Bible's like going, are you enjoying your stay? Because you're only here for a short time. Turn to someone right now and ask them. Ask them, are you enjoying your stay? Go ahead, ask them. Are you enjoying your stay? Right, what did you just do? You ask them how life is going. That's the new way we need to say it. Are you enjoying your stay? The word is not life in the, in the original text. The word is sojourn. 
It's when you go somewhere for a temporary time. And so the text is trying to capture that by saying, during the time of your stay on earth. Think about, think about how some people do life like a hotel room. What if you went somewhere for a week and you had a hotel room and you got all the money in your bank account and you spent it on the hotel room? Like you ripped out the carpet, put a new carpet, put paintings on the walls, put everything, right? See, see where I'm going with this? And you made the hotel room amazing, put a super cool pool in there, whatever. Spent all, and then what, what's the problem with that? Is there a problem with that? Well, the problem with it is you're leaving in a week. So it probably wasn't a good way to invest everything you had. And yet, in the same way, we're only here for a short time in life, but we invest sometimes everything we have in the comforts of this life and not in what's coming. And the Bible's going, that's not smart. That's not smart because life is really short and eternity is really long. So, so, that's why Jesus says, don't treat life like a hotel room. He goes, don't store up treasures on, here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys. Where thieves break in and steal, but store yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what he's talking about when he's, you know, those two ways. Whether you put your faith in Christ is one thing, and then you're entrusted in eternity based on your trustworthiness in this life. Then look what the scripture says. So conduct yourselves in fear during the time of staying on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed. There's a lot in this, but this is so, wow. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your, look at this word, futile way of life inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So I want to I point out two things to you on this text, okay? Number one, look at this word redeemed. That word in the original is pronounced lutro. Now, if you, <clears throat> this word redeemed means to buy back. Just that one word alone encapsulates the whole gospel. And look, and look what it's connected to. You weren't redeemed by stuff. You were redeemed by Jesus' blood, this helps you understand, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because there's nothing, there's nothing worth enough to pay for anyone's sins. Silver or gold isn't worth it. And listen to this, the good things you do, they're not good enough or worth enough to pay for your sins. The only way for you to be forgiven and go to heaven is for your sins to be paid for, and the only thing value enough, valuable enough to pay for your sins is the blood of the Son of God. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the price for your sins, and then if you accept his payment for your sins, you will be in heaven. You will be in eternity forever. You are forgiven forever. You are bought back. You're redeemed. And here's what you're redeemed from. You're redeemed from a futile way of life, okay? This is, this is so, this text is so amazing. You're redeemed from a futile way of life in two ways, in two ways. The first one is just like, is so interesting, is just what we just talked about. The first futile way of living is to try to get to heaven by doing good stuff. The Bible says that doesn't work. All false religions are based on that premise, on that futility. Just, just have your good outweigh your bad and you'll go to heaven. The Bible says no, you have to be forgiven. That's futile. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. You can only be forgiven. And, it's, and, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven forever. But you're also redeemed from a futile way of life because before Jesus, 
You didn't live for eternity. You didn't have that motivation. It makes sense that people would live just for this life because that's all they know. And then Jesus opens, you know, the doors and says, no, eternity is coming. This life is really short. Eternity is really long. And so now you get on mission and you offer yourself to God and say, God, use my life for, for your glory and for your mission. And so he redeems us from purposelessness. So look at how this text ends. I told you that I love this passage because of the way it ends. Because it ends really interesting. Because what happens is Peter starts to wax eloquent. Okay, you know what that is? Like when you, you're talking and all of a sudden you break out into poetry. Does, do you guys do that a lot? Um, so I know that doesn't happen, but he's writing and he starts to wax eloquent. He, start, he, break, he, he literally breaks out in poetry. He literally he breaks out in poetry. And he says four. Now four means this is why. So this is why conduct yourselves in fear. This is why you gotta get in your heart these things. This is why, you know, um, you gotta just keep in mind you're redeemed from a, a futile way of life. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Do you know what he's saying right there? He's saying this. He's saying, you got to do this stuff because life is short. Listen to this. This is so interesting. He's not making up this poem. <clears throat> this poem is an ancient text. He's actually quoting from Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before him. And Isaiah is quoting from Moses, who wrote this down 700 years before Isaiah. So these, this text is from 3,400 years ago, Psalm 90. Look what Psalm 90 says. This is Moses who wrote this. Put the Psalm 90 text up real quick. They are like grass. All over the Bible, this teaching appears every 700 years. They, who's they? That's you and me. We're, we're like grass that grows up in the morning. In the morning, they are fresh and new, okay? That was like me 15 years ago. Now I'm on this side. I'm in the evening. You know, they dry up and die. Okay. Now go be encouraged, church. See you next week. I know, it's like sobering, but, but come on, like, eternity's coming. But look at how Moses ends this psalm. Look at this line. Teach us then how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. Because life is short and eternity is long. Wow. So, you got to carry that feeling around with you because it affects every decision you can make. Listen, I had, I had a, someone I was really close to died not too long ago, and he knew about two years, year and a half before he died that he was going to die. And he was a believer, but he wasn't living his life really on mission. So listen, hear, hear me on this. He was saved. He had put his faith in Jesus. He was going to heaven. But he hadn't been living his life on mission. And when he found out he was going to die, he realized his time was running out. And he really started to just, like, turn the corner. And it was interesting, too, because it didn't produce anxiety. Joy started to come into his life. Like, he was, because he, God was using his life. And it was so simple, too. It wasn't, he didn't do some amazing big thing. He did all these little things. And, and at, his funeral, at his funeral, people stood up. And they started saying stuff about him. People I'd never seen before. And 
They were just, they've been really affected by this guy's life. But it was only in the last 18 months, and yet he still had this big impact. And when he was dying, when he was in the hospital, I was alone with him for a little bit. I was praying with him. And I could see, like, the kind of this regret thing on his face. And I, we just walked through the text, scriptures. Like, look, you are saved. Just have joy in that, first of all. You know, Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, if you believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And I just, and just and thank God for the way that, you know, he had redeemed his life from a futile way of living and, and used his life for his glory. But I'll tell you what, in my own heart, as I'm praying with this guy, I'm just telling you, I just thought, man, I don't want to come down to the last year and a half and do this, you know? I want to do it now. I want to, I want to turn my face to the Lord and offer myself and be used by God. I don't want this to be only, you know, near the end. And it's not easy, right? But, 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 but just, just offering ourselves to God, God will come into that. And he'll use our lives. So here's what I want to do. I want to I end this by telling you four things that you can, you can ask God right now. And then I want to pray with you. But I want to give you words to, to be able to pray. Here's the first thing. The first thing is you can, you can feel how short life is and how long eternity is, and you can just say, you know, I want to say no to sin. you got a particular sin in your life, and everybody in this room has something that, you know, can be a stronghold in our life. A beset, we call it a besetting sin. And maybe you've just, you've just given up, or, you, or it's just you've accepted it or whatever, and, and you're looking at, man, life is really short. Eternity is long. And these are light and momentary troubles. And I really should say no to this now. I should renounce it. You can do that. And I'll just give you some words to do that. And that's a healthy fear, a healthy fear of eternity. And then God will bless that. And, and, and he'll stop blocking. That intimacy with you and God won't be blocked anymore. And God will come in and he'll, he'll, he'll use your life in ways that, you know, because he'll, he'll open up spiritual doors for you. Number two, you can stop living in the hotel, right? You can, stop, you can stop pretending like the hotel is permanent. And you can turn your face and you can say to God, I want you to use my life. I want, I want, I don't, you, know, it doesn't, you don't have to know how. Just to say, look, I, I recognize that I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't use my resources for you. I don't offer, you know, my time to you. I, I'm not on mission. And you can turn to the kingdom, right? And say, God, I, I don't know what this means, what all that's going to happen, but I, and I promise you this, stuff will happen, but I'm offering my life to you, and God will start using your life. Number three, third prayer, and this is the biggest one you could ever do, and nothing else compares to this. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You can put your faith in Jesus to be saved forever, because being saved is not about all the little good things you do or the big good things you do. It's about whether or not you put your faith and confess that Jesus is your Savior, whether or not you accept his payment for your sins, then you are forgiven. And number four, the other decision you can make, is maybe, maybe you don't, this whole question of like, why do we, why do Christians share your faith, their faith? Maybe, maybe you don't. And maybe you can say, this, this is your decision. I'm going to start praying for people in my life now who need Jesus. That question, right? Why do Christians share their faith? Because life is short. Eternity is long. And the decisions we make in this short, short time period affect our forever. 
So here's what I want to do. I want to walk us through those four prayers, okay? I want to walk us through those four prayers. So um, just do that with me. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you some words to say. Here we go. Father, we come to you right now, and we think about, we think about the healthy fear of thinking about eternity, but, but also the joy and just the reality that heaven is adventure, and it's going to be great, and you're there, and you've made a way, and you've made a way for us to know for certain that we can be there with you because Jesus made it. He made the way, and he told us how to do it, to put our faith in him. So here's the first prayer. If you need to say no to sin in your life, here's what you do, okay? And you don't have to say this out loud. In fact, don't say it out loud. Just whisper it or mouth, mouth the words or say it in your heart. Say to God, think about that sin. And here's the first part. You just say, you just identify that it's sin. You say, Father, that is sin. So just say it in your heart. And now you say, I renounce that sin. So you identify it, that is sin. Now I renounce that sin. And the third thing you do is you give God thanks for helping you the next time you face temptation. So you go like this. You go, Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit's help the next time I face that temptation. I will obey. Now, if the Holy Spirit is telling you, I, you need to stop living in the hotel. You need to turn your life towards the kingdom. Here's what you say. This is really simple. You just say to God right now, again, mouth the words, whisper the words, say them in your heart, whatever you want to do. You just say this, Father, I offer my life to you. Use my life, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now, number three, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to walk you through the gospel. The word says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So here's what you say. Now, you, you just repeat this, okay? Just repeat it and just whisper these words if this is you. This time, I want you to whisper these words. Say, Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I accept his payment for my sins. He is now the Lord of my life. And I heard a lot of whispers. So good to hear. And now, everyone, think of a name and a face of someone in your life who doesn't yet know Jesus. And at the same time, think about how grateful you are that someone prayed for you. Now, with that same type of joy that you have and that gratitude, pray for that person. Think of their face right now and think of their name. And here we go. When you say their name, just whisper their name at the beginning. Say, Father, I pray for, say their name. And now offer yourself for whatever God, whatever way he would use you in their life. Just say, God, if there's a way to use me to bring them to faith, I offer myself to you. And now say to God, but Father, do whatever it takes to bring and say their name to Jesus. Amen.